in pursuit of godliness. In, in a crazy world that we're living in, for us to live a life of pursuit of godliness, is, it's a bold but necessary quality decision that each and every one of us as Christians need to make to cause 2020 to be a better year than 2019 was. Amen? In our lives. Every year that we live, we should be getting closer to God. We should be getting stronger in God. We should be getting stronger in the Word. Amen? And this is going to kind of lay out a, a, a map from the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you why I believe God led us here. I believe uh, that we can share with you over the next four weeks uh, why God has brought us to this subject. You know, this is the antithesis of what's going on out there in the world. You know, the world says, you know, you, you're a free spirit. You can do whatever you want. And I'm telling you, to an extent, that's crept into the church. Into, into the church. How does heresy get into the church? It creeps into the church on the back of truth. That's how heresy gets into the church. It mixes itself with some truth and disguises itself and camouflages itself and comes right on in, right? We warn against something in this church that we want the Holy Spirit to help us with the warning. God gave us the warning, but we want God to help us with the warning because we do not want to diminish the truth of the message of grace. Grace is a wonderful thing, right? But God never gave us grace as an excuse to sin. God never gave us grace as an excuse to steer off the path right or left and say, well, it's okay, God will forgive me. Now, is God a forgiving God? Yes, he is, and will he forgive you? Is that any excuse for going to do what you know you shouldn't ought to go do? No, it's not. Amen? Matter of fact, I will classify that in the dangerous column. Playing with sin is in the dangerous column. You know, it's in the dangerous column. Why would we want to slap God like that? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. And you've got to think in terms like that because it is personal. It's personal. Our relationships with Father, our relationship as an individual with Father is very personal, right? Now, what are we going to do? We're going to get off into Timothy. We're going to bounce around in Timothy and some other scriptures. And why are we going to do that? If you know anything about the life and the relationship of Paul and Timothy, you know they started out in a rough patch. Did you know that? Paul was a very overbearing and stubborn individual, and he believed his opinion was right and everybody else's was wrong. And for the most part, he, was, he drove the nail straight, right? They had a parting of the ways because Timothy wanted to do a certain missions trip, and Paul didn't want him to do it. Paul said, you need to come with me. Now, if Paul was going to be a mentor to Timothy, it was probably not a bad idea for Timothy to spend time with Paul. But Timothy was not ready to commit to that mentor-student relationship, number one. And he wanted to go on this other trip. And he just made his mind, I don't care what Paul says, I'm going, right? And Paul got extremely upset with Timothy about that. And they had a splitting in their relationship. This was early on, and Timothy took off on his own trip. Paul went on a different trip, and Barnabas went with Timothy to look after him, to watch over him, to be with him, to pray over him, to invest in him, right? Because Barnabas at that time was more what Timothy needed than Paul was because Timothy wasn't 
ready to be mentored the way Paul wanted to mentor him. So you fast forward in life and, and say, you know, Paul's older. He's in prison in Rome, and he's writing these letters. What a story. What a story. He's writing these letters, and he asks for someone to bring me my cloak because he's cold. If you ask for a coat, it's called your cold, right? Bring me my cloak and bring me Timothy, for he is beneficial and profitable to me for the ministry. And what was Paul doing at that point in his life? He was making certain that Timothy knew that he loved him and that he cared for him. And that all of that back then when Timothy was young just didn't matter anymore. So when you look at 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, it is the heart cry of a, a saint who's been living for God, who loves God, and he's pouring out his heart to young Timothy to help Timothy be a better preacher. In reality, a better Christian. So do you think that the things he told Timothy are important to us? They are. They really are. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. When you get there in your Bible, we're going to be reading verses 3 through 11 to start with, and I'm going to point out some things about why we're focusing on godliness, in, 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 in especially because of these passages of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. Paul warned Timothy, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with what? Godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, notice it doesn't say money. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. You need to know that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, this is the old, the old guy, the old preacher calling the young preacher. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and what? Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, steadfastness and gentleness. Now, I can tell you that if you pursue righteousness and you pursue godliness, the other four will fall into line. Does that make sense? They'll fall into line. Now, I like to, I've got to where I like to write kind of a synopsis of the message. And a synopsis, used to, I learned that from writing police reports. You had this big police report. It might be 45 pages long. If it's a homicide case, it could be hundreds of pages long. But there was always there was a synopsis, a little paragraph that anyone in the world could read the little synopsis and get a gist of what the rest of the report was saying, right? The rest of the report was just more details that enforced what the synopsis said. 
So I've gotten to where I, I add a synopsis to every sermon that I write. The goal of this message on the meaning of godliness is to instruct believers in how to achieve their full potential as individuals who are living lives of godliness to the fullest, seeking after God with all their hearts and striving to fill their lives with more of him in everything they do. Everything they do. Doesn't that sound good? Let me explain this to you. As Christians... We've been assigned a task. We have a job to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul told Timothy, for while bodily training is of some value, I like that, bodily training is of some value, <clears throat> I, I've got this membership at a, a health training center. I read this on Facebook the other day, but it applies to me. <clears throat> and it's not working. It's not working. So, so next week, I'm going to show up there to see why not. <laughs> you know, basically, right? But well, I like this passage of Scripture because it says, while working out physically, it's good for you. It can do some good for you. Watch this. For while bodily training is of some value in 1 Timothy 4.8, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. So, look, if you're looking for the benefit package, pursuing godliness is good for you now, it's healthy for you now, it's good for you now, and it's good for you and healthy you, for you all throughout eternity in the life to come. It, it's not without benefit, right? Okay, watch this with me. All right, Paul says our assignment is to pursue godliness because it is, is profitable both for life we now live and the life we will live forever as believers. This means we need to understand clearly what godliness is and what it is not. How many, time, how many times have I told you, sometimes you can learn as much by what something isn't as you, as you can by learning what it is, right? All right? It's possible to have a false kind of godliness because Paul warned Timothy about this trap. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, having the appearance of godliness... And, and the, I love the King James Version of that. It says, having a form of godliness. Having the appearance or form of godliness, but denying its power. There is power in godliness. Can you say amen? But denying its power, avoid such people. Don't even hang out with them. It's not good for you. Badness can rub off on you. Did you know that? I've met women before that I've tried to counsel. They're engaged to Someone who's not only unsaved. And do you know that a Christian, the Bible says a Christian woman can marry an unsaved man. And I, I believe that that's true. It's in the Bible, right? But if the man's abusive, if he has got a, an alcohol problem, he's got a drug problem, he's lazy, doesn't want to work. I don't care what kind, uh, uh, what the Bible says. It doesn't say that she should marry that man. Does that make sense to you, right? And, and I cannot tell you how many times I've heard women say, was, I believe I can change him. I believe he can change. I believe I can change him. Do you know what you just said to, to the world? I can do the work of God in his life, the work of God. Now, she can set a godly example for him, can't she? Yes, but she cannot do the work of God in his life. She cannot be God in his life. And she does not have the power in and of herself to change him. 
Paul says, stay away from people like he just described because there's not good for us to hang out with that. It's like playing with a vacuum cleaner that's 100,000 times more powerful than a Hoover, and you can get sucked in, right? You know, my, my, I've heard preachers, I've heard my grandfather talk about this. He said, don't play around on a muddy bank because you're eventually going to fall in. You play around on a muddy bank of a river, you're eventually going to fall in and you can drown. Amen? So he says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. It is crucial that we understand the difference between true godliness and its mere form or appearance. The Greek word for form or appearance means a shape, a silhouette, or an outline, not the full substance. So what is it? It's a shadow, right? When you see a person's shadow, what are you looking at? You're just looking at a silhouette. You're looking at the form of them, right? What this means for the issue of godliness is that it's possible to look the part of a godly person without having any reality. How do you know if you're looking at a shadow instead of the real thing? Because the Bible says that false godliness has no spiritual power attached to it. How many of you know that you can go out and spend a lot of money and you can get a Superman suit? You can get a Superman suit. You can get a Superman suit that looks like the one Superman wore if you want to spend enough money in the movie Superman. You can look like Superman, right? Here's what I wrote about this. It's like putting on a Superman outfit but not being able to fly. Someone who is impersonating Superman has the form of power and of flight and the attire of power and of flight but without the accompanying power to pull off what the form declares can be done, this form is useless. You can dress up like Superman, but I don't advise you to jump off a building with the suit on. All right? Okay. The person wearing this outfit had better not be jumping off of anything. Amen? Now listen to me carefully because this is one of those aha moments. Listen to me carefully. This form of godliness without real power how many of you know what it's called anybody know what it's called religion this form of godliness without real power is called religion religion gives the impression of something related to god that's real it it's, it looks that way right you can look religious you can use religious vocabulary you can even carry a bible and yet still be devoid of God's power. Many of us know what it's like to go to church for years, and, 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 and even some of us here have suffered this before, went to church for years, right, and not get changed. To be in the vicinity of God and not have the power to make us more like him, which is more godly. It's being in the vicinity. I'm going to explain that even better later. There are three things that we need to understand about godliness. Point number one, we need to understand that godliness, oh, I'm sorry, we need to understand what godliness is not because I already told you. Sometimes it's easier to look at what something isn't to determine what it is. 
better what it is. It's possible to have all the outward trappings of godliness with no inner reality. Already covered that. For many people, listen to this. I, this is the only way I can describe this. I'm going to get real personal with you here for a minute. A lot of people treat church like it's a donut shop. They'll, they'll go in. It's a sweet place with no substance. They'll go in. They'll go out. Life Spring Bible Church isn't like this. We, we would not allow this to be that kind of place. Why? We jar too many people with the Word of God itself to allow people to live in a facade in that arena to treat Life Spring Bible Church. I'd have to go a lot easier on you for it to be like a donut shop, right? You know? It's not like Krispy Kreme where they put cocaine in the donuts. You know they've got to have something in the donuts to be addictive because people, they show up there. I told you that story. I went in there one day about six weeks after they opened. I, I said, I just want six of your original donuts, right? And this little 16-year-old girl smiled at me, and instead of reaching right in the counter or in that thing, the case, and getting me out six of them original donuts, she smiled and she turned and she walked back into the cleanest meth lab I've ever seen in my life <laughs> and dipped six of them dripping donuts up off the, the rack that was rolling by and smiled and she's dropping them in this box, right? Six of them bad boys, right? You know, we cannot treat church like that. You, it won't do you any good to, to treat life, life spring like that. We you're getting too much of the hardcore, real-life-giving Word of God for this place to be treated like that, right? So we don't treat this place like a donut shop, but a lot of people do. I, 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 I just I can't give you too many details because this is real life. I'm not out to hurt anybody, and I wouldn't be hurting anybody here, but I'd hurt people I know, and people listen to these sermons all over the world now. They, it's the Internet age, and people listen everywhere, but listen to me carefully. A pastor came into a church. This is down in the lower 48. They're looking for, this new, they're looking for a new pastor for their church, and they're interviewing this guy that I know, and what they say is, uh, we just, you know, we don't want all of this talk about, you know, these. Um, basically, what he was saying is, I want, we want a powder puff church. We don't want all of this talk about pursuit of godliness and things like that. It's just, you know, we don't need all that. And they're protecting and defending their donut shop mentality in their church, and they're trying to hold on to it. They're trying to protect it. And they think that's what's giving them life, and it's not feeding them anything like life. The Word of God, empty calories. Thank you. So many churches in America today are full of empty calories. You know, um, if you want to go to the donut shop regularly, I can tell you you're not going to get healthier eating at the donut shop on a regular basis because there's nothing in that donut that's good for you. There's nothing in that donut that's good for you. And there's nothing in those churches that are good for you. All right? Anyway, enough said about donuts. I think maybe, maybe I've hurt people's feelings about donuts. Look, look, I was a cop for God knows how many years. And I did not like to eat donuts while I was in uniform because all I did was feed, you know, that thing. Cops eat donuts, right? So, so you can understand why I can be very hard on donuts, right? But I ate all six of those that day, I want you to know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it did to me. It was not pretty, all right? 
True godliness has his power attached to it. True godliness, truly following after God, has his power stamped on it. Do you get that with me? Right? All right. So that, that's a powerful thing. Religion by itself can provide us with these outward forms while not providing any power, only empty spiritual calories that don't do anything for us. Many religious people fall into this trap. We don't teach religiosity here. You can be religious about anything. You can be religious about a diet. You can be religious about, you know, many things. Godliness is not an event you attend and then leave unchanged. What do we do here? We try to challenge you with the Word of God, and I pray, God, don't let anybody leave here today without being touched by your Word, without being touched by your presence. And it demands change. It demands that we grow. It, it, if we don't do anything but take one step forward in our Christian growth in our life that day, we've gained something. We have had something by God applied to our life, and I think that's exciting. All right, so first point, we need to understand what godliness is not. It's not a donut shop mentality, amen? Number two, we need to understand that godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects God's character. Living in the light of his presence. You know, that's why we encourage you, and that's why Julie and Eunice and, and Kathy has been involved in that, and Vicky's been involved with that in the past. We encourage you to worship God. Why? Because living in the light of his presence puts you on the road to true godliness. Say, Brother, Brother Dennis, I could never get up there and lead worship. And guess what? If your life's messed up, you don't get to get up and lead worship. You don't get to do that, right? So my point that I'm trying to make is that if we want to live in true godliness, we have to get into the presence of God, and we have to stay there. You've got to live there consistently. I wrote this. The godly person is obsessed with God's presence. A godly person is consistently evaluating things from God's perspective. You look at life through that lens. Godliness requires that you agree with God in everything he says in advance. Whatever he says, I'm going to get, I'm in his corner with it. Whatever he says. Challenging God. Do you know that there are people that challenge God today? One of the most dangerous things I hear coming out of people's mouth can be summed down and boiled down like this. You know, I love the Bible. I think it's a good book, you know, but there's a couple parts I just can't agree with. Flush the toilet on the whole book then. If there's anything in the book you can't believe or you can't agree with, none of it's any good for you. If you're willing to flush the toilet on any truth in the Bible, none of it's any good to your faith. Because if you can't trust one part, you can't trust any part. There's no part of the Word of God. Once again, I'm going to tell you this until you just get angry with me about it. If we as the children of God can't trust this supreme being to be in charge of how one book gets put together, from beginning to end, we can't trust him for anything. But he is the kind of God that you can trust. Amen? He did put the book together. 
All right? Challenging God means you have set yourself up as your own idol. Challenging the word of God means you've set yourself up as your own idol. Just think, if you could be correct in doing that, you'd be pretty smart. But because you cannot be correct, you are not. <laughs> Amen? Godliness requires a prior decision that God's word is true, period. You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, Paul's writing again. It says in the English Standard Version, by no means, exclamation point. I probably should have added the verse of Scripture before that, but those three words don't take anything away from the truth of what we're about to share. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. In other words, you should be able to answer everything in your life with the Word of God. There is a an app out there we call, called Beyond Sunday. You, want, you might want to take a look at it. It has to do with us being in the Word of God other than on Sunday morning or Sunday midday at lunchtime. I think that's ironic to be able to say that, Sunday at lunchtime. We're in the Word of God. That's a good place to be, right? It's a good place to be. But if this is the only food you get during the week, you're going to starve to death. Yeah. Go to the app Beyond Sunday and look into why it was put together. I think it was a gift from God, all right? Just a little word to the wise. Okay. Point number three, we need to realize that there are enemies of godliness. We need to realize that there are enemies of godliness. Worldliness is the devil's tool to combat true godliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said to young Timothy, but avoid irreverent babble. You know what that means? Avoid, if, if we're not here and we're out there with a crowd of our friends in the world and you can't tell any difference the way you talk and the way they talk and they're not saved, you're in trouble. That's right. You're in trouble. Watch this with me. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The words of your mouth are important, amen? Or oh me, or ouch, or something, right? The world system is firmly under the devil's control. Worldliness is a mindset that leaves God out of the equation. Worldliness is a mindset that leaves God out of the equation. Christians cannot breathe the air of worldliness and still be godly. Leave it alone. Stay away from it. God help us. Amen. The world is an alien environment for the child of God. I'm going to say that again. The world is an alien environment for the Christian. We've already talked about the donut illustration, haven't we? You got that clear, don't you? People who treat church like it's a God's donut shop they want to hear a sweet song. They want to hear a sweet word. Everything sprinkled with sugar, but no real substance. No real substance. That's having a form of godliness while denying its power. I hope I don't mention this too often, but 
you know, pastors and preachers, they get in the teachers and all, they get in the pulpit and they, they talk about their lives to an extent. God has done things in our lives, right? And I know I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. This particular story illustration, I've never used it before, but I'm going to use it today. <clears throat> I was a cop first in a city of a million people. That's different than being a cop in Alaska, right? You know, being a cop in a city of three or 4,000 people is different. Being a, a police officer in an Alaska village is even more different, you know. But God took me everywhere I ever went to wear the badge and carry the gun. Romans tells us that the one that wields the sword that enforces the laws of the land is a minister of God. Did you know that? Said it in Romans. And every police force that I ever built or ever ran in this state, it's one of the first things I taught my officers. You're a minister of God. And it made them very uncomfortable. And that's good. They needed to be uncomfortable. They needed to learn that well, if there's a God in heaven, I'm representing, and, and no police officer ever worked for me that abused another human being. Never, not once. I say that by the grace of God, all right? But when I was in the city of a million people, we drove these big, huge Ford Crown Victoria police interceptors, and they were awesome. <laughs> they were awesome, right? And, and, I, I was taught to drive police cars by state troopers and, and, and the city cops I worked with, right? And then when I came to Alaska, I went to Alaska's academy and found out it's one of the toughest police academies in the country. I'm proud to say I lived through that, right? Well, I learned to drive police cars here from state troopers. So what does that tell you that Pastor Dennis could have a problem with? Driving too fast right? I'm just being honest with you, right? I was taught by cops how to drive cars, and we went places in a hurry with lights on and sirens. So when you stop being a police officer, you're pretty comfortable with your foot in a certain position on the gas pedal, right? You know, I mean, that, that's, I'm just saying, but listen to me. This works both ways. What would happen? What happens to you, and what happens to me now? I'm driving down the Glen Highway, right? I'm driving, right? And all of a sudden, I see a police car. You slow down. You better. You better. If you don't, you, you're going to get a chat, right? And a little piece of paper, and you're going to get a speeding ticket, right? Think about this with me. If I'm driving down the highway, and a policeman pulls up beside me, I'm forced to drive differently. I'm forced to drive differently. Foot comes off a... Foot comes off the gas, taps the brake. Want to make sure. Look at that. Look again at him. No lights on. I'm good. I'm good. If I'm going faster than him, but still within the speed limit, I still want passing. <laughs> Why? Because I'm affected by his presence. Follow with me here now, right? However, if he drives off and I'm no longer being watched, I can go back to whatever I was doing. No, no, really. No, you can do that. You can do that. You know, I remember Bill Enfinger, pastor friend of mine, him and his wife Kay. Mention them by name. They're going to love this. <clears throat> Bill needed to sleep. They're moving to Oklahoma. They're going to pastor a church there. Bill needed to sleep. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Bill's asleep. Kay's driving. They're pulling a U-Haul. He wakes up, and they're out in the Midwest somewhere, 
and she's driving 90 miles an hour. She's doing 90 miles an hour pulling a U-Haul. Well, by God, the man of God in her life is sitting in the seat there in the front seat, and he says to her, Kay, you need to slow down. Well, by God, the man has spoken, right? <laughs> right? The man has spoken. Kay, you need to slow down. She just says, okay, right? A few minutes later, he looks over there. She's still doing 90, right? She's still doing 90 miles an hour, right? He says, Kay, I'm telling you, you need to slow down. She goes, okay. A few minutes later, she's still doing 90, right? Now, Bill makes the mistake of saying to her, Kay, you know in the Bible, when Abraham talked to Sarah, Sarah called him Lord. She said, yes, and when you're half the man Abraham was, I'll call you Lord. <laughs> but that's not really my point, but I remember that and you needed to hear it. What I'm, what I'm saying is, her husband sitting there in the seat in front of her telling her, news she needs to hear and it, how many of you believe it was good information pulling in a u-haul full u-haul 90 miles an hour with an oldsmobile you know like a delta 88 or whatever is not a good idea but kay's got her hands on the wheel kay's got her foot on the pedal and as long as kay's in the driver's seat kay can do whatever she wants to do do you understand what i'm saying when the policeman leaves you can drive any way you want ain't nobody gonna enforce the the rules on you, right? But that isn't the way God wants us to live our lives. He doesn't want us to drive that way either. I'll tell you that right now. You need to hear your pastor say that. That's important, right? But watch this with me. So I said, if I'm going faster than him, but still within the speed limit, I won't pass him because I am affected by his presence. Listen to me when I read it this way. However, if he drives off and I am no longer being watched, I can go back to my same old ways. Listen, the reason why I can go back to my sinful lifestyle of driving over the speed limit is that I am no longer driving in the light of his presence. I'm no longer driving in the light of his presence. So what does that say to us, children of God? That's why godliness is boiled down to a consistent pursuit of his presence. Because you don't feel like doing those things when you're in his presence, when you're in the light of his presence. Do you, you hear me today? 2020 can be the greatest year of your life, and I believe God wants it to be. But we're going to set a pace we're going to set a pace. It's early. It's the first Sunday of the year. And we're going, to, we're going to learn about godliness. We're going to learn about why it's important to be pursuers of godliness. Amen? We want to be in the light of his presence as much as we can be there. You know? And oftentimes it's a choice. It's a decision that we make. I call it a quality choice. And it's the only way our lives are going to change. We cannot do it by ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. Amen? Wow. I wrote this in terms of driving wrongfully when I know better is being sin, right? The moment I see that he left me and I can dismiss him from my mind, my lifestyle changes. When it came to driving, I had become a sinful man. Does that make sense? 
Don't play that game anymore. However, if the policeman showed up again, I got holy again. <laughs> but, but that's exactly the way we treat God, isn't it? The reason I would get holy is because his presence would have shown up again. That's the effect of living and acting with an awareness of someone's presence. We need to live with an awareness of his presence. Amen? So I've got a few takeaways in closing. So I'm going to take a minute. I'll read them to you. Too many people are not experiencing more of God because they don't live in his presence. They only visit his presence. As long as you are visiting, you can leave. Religion can give the impression of something related to God that's not real. You can look religious, wear religious clothes, use religious vocabulary, and even carry a religious book. You can even carry a Bible. You can hang out with religious people, and yet there can be no power. And once you say, I don't think God's right, you've judged God. How foolish is that? And a lot of people find themselves on the outside looking in because they don't believe the word of God. They don't believe every word coming out of the mouth of God is true. We do. That's what we teach here, amen? Before he even says it. If God's going to say it, it's real. It's true, amen? If you judge God, you've become your own God, and another God is an idol. You don't have to be a criminal to be worldly. Amen? All you have to do is leave God out of the equation, and you just become worldly. You know, you can leave God out of the equation pretty easily. Just get buried in other things. You know, God's been dealing with me about the fact that we, we are so buried under so many myriad other things, cares of this life, you know. I've just come to the realization at my age that even when I was so far in debt in medical bills that I couldn't count, I mean, the numbers were just devastating to me. I've told you that before. You know, I don't even think about that anymore because I'm 63 years old, and, and for a major portion of my life, I was flat broke, and this is not malnutrition hanging out under my chin, all right? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go hungry. My children didn't know that at times we didn't have any money. They just wanted to know where the next, you know, what's going on the table next, and it was there. And I've told you the miracles that have happened before when there was no food in our home you know from the time my oldest son was a baby you know god showed me early on you might as well set the table if there's no food in your house and you've tried to do everything you can do and you're trusting god set the table i can say that because i saw what god did you know i i did just the opposite i did the wrong thing i was yelling at god i was angry told my wife there was going to be food don't worry you know you got a little beautiful wife that's looking to you and you've got a baby and you've got one on the way and there's no food in the house but you tell your wife don't worry god will provide it's going to be okay i'm going to go out there and, and find what god has for us i'm going to bring it home i came home 
15 minutes before Ruthie was coming home and there was no food. And I was angry with God, angry with God. And then someone, I'm yelling at God and someone knocking on my door. I go to my door and an an Admiral food store manager, regional manager said, I hope this doesn't offend you. But listen to these words. When I was passing your house this morning on my way to work at 7 a.m., God told me to bring groceries to this house. I can't help it that God knew that what I didn't know, that I wasn't going to have to go looking for it. He made arrangements at 7 o'clock in the morning for it to show up at my house. About four bags of groceries. And he put them on our dining room table. When he said, I hope you won't be offended or upset. How many of you believe I got offended or upset? Well, I will tell you what it was. I was ashamed. And I tell you that story again because somebody needs to hear it. Set the table. God will provide. You know? And it'll be sometime before you set the table, God will have already put the wheels in motion. I had a friend of mine who was feeling smug going to the mission field in uh, Beirut, Lebanon from Belgium. And um, the miracle for him came when God told him, you're going, to, you're going to Beirut. You'll be a missionary there. He said, I didn't have any money, you know. And he said, and this money showed up in the mail. And I, I'm telling my sister all about how God did this great thing. And he said, I'm feeling pretty smug. And uh, I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm flying to Beirut, Lebanon, and feeling pretty, you know, pretty spiritually stout, you know. And he said, the Holy Spirit rose up on the inside of me and said, take that envelope out of your pocket and look at it. He said, he reached and pulled the envelope out that the money came in for his missions trip that God sent him, money he wasn't expecting. And he looked at the post stamp and the money was on the way 10 days before it ever crossed his mind that God was telling him to go to Beirut. He said, I didn't feel so smug in me anymore. I felt smug in my relationship with God. In other words, I felt appreciated, appreciative of what God had done for me 10 days before I knew anything. God was already setting things in motion, right? Hearing stories like that draws me into the presence of God. It draws me there. He loves you. Let me pray for you. All right, stand up. Father, in Jesus' name, I know we're just getting started, but 2020 is already proven in my heart to be a great year already. We're just one Sunday into it. I want to thank you for what you do for us, Father, with your word in our lives. Now, Father, it's up to your children. What we do with the word you give us, it's up to us as individuals in our relationship with you. Father, we spend so much time in the Bible in this church, and we, we get exposed to truths that you give us. The world's messed up. The church is our only hope. The body of Christ, the word of God, you, Lord, your presence is our only hope. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep drawing on the heartstrings of every person in this room. And I want to thank you, Father, once again. I believe that each individual in this place today was brought here by you. It was a divine appointment. You wanted us to hear this word. I want to pray for the people that are going to be listening to the telecast, the podcast. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would just leap out from the places where these people are listening to this message. Cause each and every one of us, Lord, to draw near to you. 
to pursue your presence. Father, we don't want to be fakes. We don't want to be frauds. We don't want to have the form and the appearance of godliness with no power. Father, we know, too, that this can hinder our prayer life, and we don't want our prayer life to be hindered. We want our prayer life to be unleashed. And the answers to our prayers to be manifest in the form of your power, Lord. So may we be great pursuers and students of godliness. Pursuers of godliness, Father. Our trust and faith is in you. Lord, help us to stop treating you like you're a cop driving up next to our car on the freeway or on the highway. Help us, Father, to pursue your presence consistently, Lord, consistently. To pursue you rather than the things of this world because worldliness is an enemy of godliness. Help us to forsake the things in our lives, the sin that so easily besets us. And Father, may we listen to you. May we not make any decisions at all in our lives without consulting you and without getting the peace that passes all understanding about those directions because we've been in your presence, Father. Lord, as we depart here, depart from this place today, we thank you because we know you watch over us and you keep us safe. But, Father, a great seed has been planted in our hearts and lives. We pray that it would be protected by the power of your Spirit and watered and nurtured, watched over, and that the seed planted in our hearts today will cause 2020 to be a great year, the greatest year of our lives we've ever known as your children, as Christians. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Fellowship together before you leave here today.